0: Coming up on Chasing the Natty, our 2023 CFF guide has been released and we're going to give you all a taste of what you can find inside by breaking down 10 teams whom we think are being underrated from a fantasy perspective coming into this 2023 season. All this and more coming right after this. Junior touchdown. Marvelous mark. Bow next
1: to the outside drop down for Franklin. A majestic touchdown.
0: This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. Alright, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chase and Natty Podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful ride to your work on this Monday morning. We are the College Fantasy Football Podcast on the Campus to Podcast Network. You can find us on all of your podcast feeds and on YouTube every Monday morning at 7 a.m. If you want to support the great work that we are doing here, head on over to CampusCanton.com and subscribe there with one of our three awesome tiers. You'll find everything you need for your CFF leagues or DEVI leagues or C2C leagues, including rankings, articles, tools, and even so much more than that. You can also find us on YouTube where you'll see our CFF mock draft live streams where we do a CFF draft every Sunday night live with a different guest up until the start of the season so be sure to check that out and also if you want to participate in that just shoot me a message on twitter which speaking of which I am on twitter at cff underscore jared you can also find the show there at chasing the Nat. if you're interested in participating in those just dm either one of those accounts and we'll make sure to get you in on those with all that being said welcome in guys I am excited and beat at the same time because this past couple of weeks have been an absolute crazy fest getting this CFF guide done for you guys but it is out it is there you can find it on the campus canton website only 20 bucks pretty much everything you need for your CFF leagues this upcoming year It is by far the thing I am the most proud of every single singer every single year that we do here at Campus Kenton guys is incredibly awesome and today i have on me one of the people that has been instrumental in putting that together and also is just an awesome guy and one of the founders of campus com, mr chris moxley chris welcome back to the show dude
1: thank you yeah i don't think i've been on for probably probably two months at least two months i don't even know the last time i was on here we haven't we haven't chatted on on the airwaves in a while so i think uh, the last
0: i think the last time you were on was when you took no, no, no. It was Justice and Ethan and then Justice and Chris. So, yeah, you were, you, it's been yeah. even before that. I thought you were one of the guys that took on when I was away in May. So, yeah, shoot, dude, it's been forever. We need to fix that. We need to get you on more often. It really, it really has. But um, again, today's show, we are going to give you guys kind of a sneak peek into the CFF guide a little bit. Obviously, we're not going to go over everything that is in the guide, but one of the fun topics that kind of crops up when we're putting together this guide every year is. We do a deep dive on all 133 teams in that guide. And so we start to become a little bit more familiar with some of the teams that we hadn't really gotten a chance to get around to yet. And so we get some teams every year that we think, huh, there's a lot more to be excited about here, or at least a little bit more interesting here than we've kind of given it credit to up until this point. So Chris, you and I are going to dive into 10 of these teams today. Mostly G5 teams, but we got a couple of uh, Power 5 teams in here as well that could definitely be of a lot of value for people. Because again, almost all of these teams, I put down the ADP for a lot of the players that are involved with them. A lot of these teams have guys that could be super valuable at the end of your draft, so be sure to listen on that. But before we get into it, I do want to do one quick little bit of homework here that I forgot to mention at the top of the show, even in my spiel. Campus Canton has a home field discount with home field attire, the promo code Campus of You can get 15% off all of your vintage college gear. I'm actually pretty excited because they just launched a new line of Georgia vintage gear over there. So I'm definitely probably going to take some of my first paycheck, go on over there and use that promo code for that. You guys should too because they have awesome stuff for all of your fan gear over there, so go check that out. Mox, I've been rambling long enough. Let's get into some of these teams here. Let's head on over. We're gonna go alphabetical order with these guys, and we are going to first, oh, where'd my ticker tape go? My ticker tape's gone. That sucks. Anyway, um, let's start with, here with the A's. Let's go alphabetical order here. Let's go with Arkansas State rough rough year for this team last year it's been historically a team that we love in cff especially during the blake anderson years but man last season was rough 128th in rushing offense 73rd in passing offense their defense couldn't hold anything up they had no receivers over 500 yards last year james blackman although he finally kind of solidified himself as a starting quarterback very disappointing year 2,400 passing yards, only 14 touchdowns, and less than 350 pass attempts. Again, just a rough, rough year all around. But we go back two years ago to 2021. Well, it's definitely still a step back from the Blake Anderson offenses we had with the Red Wolves. They passed combined between the two QBs that they're playing with Ben and Hatcher. They passed 525 times and combined hit almost 3,800 yards and 27 touchdowns. But again, between the two of them. So in box, the major question with the Red Wolves here is what can we expect this year? Do we expect what we got last year? Or is the truth more like we got two years ago and they're in for a bounce back year this year? What do you think about these guys?
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited about this. <laughs> I say a lot of reasons to be excited. We're talking about Arkansas State, right? So I think there's reasons to be tentatively excited. Um, and a lot of that is probably better offensive line play. So last year they ranked 129th in offensive line yards. Line was terrible, probably the worst in the entire Sun Belt. When you're talking about that sort of conference in your last, it's a, it's a problem. Um But I think they're going to improve a lot. They brought in three pretty good transfers, um, all over 300 pounds. I think they might have the biggest offensive line in the conference. And that matters when we're talking about like 300 pounders versus dudes who are like 260, 270 that some of these teams have. So I think the overall unit is going to be better. Uh, So I think think if the line is at least closer to like 80th rather than 129th, I think we're going to see a big improvement. I would agree with that
0: definitely because one thing that stuck out to me this offensive line was terrible when it came to sack yards. They were in, oh, yeah. they were in the bottom 20 in all the country in terms of allowing sacks. Um, James Blackman got sacked 35 times last year. They were averaging 3.17 sacks given up per game. It was an absolute nightmare for that offense to get going. It was, it was an offense that was already struggling, but it didn't help that you know they were getting set back at least three times a game because of a huge sack given up. So... Let's talk about some of the players involved with this offense. Mox, the only guy that at least I could see in our ADP that is consistently getting drafted in the top 20 rounds is Corey Rucker. Wide receiver 92, kind of being taken around the late round 16, early round 17 range versus everybody else involved in this offense. You got the two quarterbacks, Jackson Daly, JT We'll We'll see who wins out there. Zach Wallace is a guy I know that you're kind of interested in at running back. And then Jeff Foreman and Corey Jackson, two wide receivers, all these guys are going undrafted. Corey Rucker getting drafted, but he's kind of the one that we're kind of waiting on a decision about his eligibility, right? So it feels like he is, there's a lot of risk going on there. What do you, what do you kind of break down with some of these players involved here?
1: Yeah. Um, Rucker is interesting because last year at South Carolina, he just didn't play. He had an ankle injury and just couldn't really get on the field. Um, still so your turn starting south state where he had you know two pretty good seasons jeff fordman's weird because he like i guess took the weight room really seriously this offseason added 20 pounds of, of muscle which is bizarre like i talked about that before where i just don't even like the idea that a player is adding 20 pounds when they're 170 whatever but um but yeah zach zach wallace is the guy i think i like more than anybody um uh, Big transfer in from UT, UT Martin. He's already six foot 220, came to the program kind of like he won this workout warrior award, which I think matters to this team and Butch Jones and everyone. Like, I think that those sorts of things are important. Like a guy who's leading by example. He's the biggest back they got. He was incredibly productive. He had 31 touchdowns in his last two seasons there. I like him somewhat. He led the spring game in rushing yardage. And if the offensive line is going to improve, I think that he's going to be the guy We just need the offensive line to improve. It's really the end of the day. But I don't know if I want to touch the passing game. I don't know how it's going to really shake out all that much. Um, I think it's going to be Jackson Daly starting. I'm pretty sure. Uh, They brought in Jalen Raynor, who I think is a pretty interesting um, stash candidate in CFF Dynasty. But, I mean, you're probably still a year away from him. But I think he's a good player. So Uh, the offense has the pieces to be good. It it depends on whether or not these three big transfers are going to make an impact or not.
0: Yeah, I'll start with Zach Wallace. Zach Wallace, I haven't done too dug too much into. Again, it it makes me happy to hear that he is a b- pretty big dude. Again, like you said, six foot, over two hundred pounds. That's good. That's very good to hear, especially in a G five program. But again, I we just haven't really seen a clear workhorse running back with uh, Butch Jones going on over here with Arkansas State. So I'm a little skeptical there. But again, a lot of these things are talent based. So maybe if he does separate himself fully from the rest of the pack in that running back room. We could see him take off here. You're pretty confident in Jackson Daly starting. I want to believe, because I actually do like Jackson Daly, but it scares the crap out of me that Butch Jones brought in J.T. Shroud, who Butch Jones knows from his time over there at Tennessee. Jackson Daly's a young guy. He's a true freshman last year. If he's If they're not comfortable starting him this early on, Do you think it's outside of the possibility that they go with a guy like JT Shrout who has started for Tennessee, started for Colorado? Not that he's been good at either of those programs, but it is experience at the end of the day.
1: So just based on the spring reports, I feel confident it's going to be daily. Um, But that probably means that his leash is a little bit shorter because there's a guy with experience. And if they had to go to Jalen Raynor immediately, I don't think he's getting pulled because Raynor is a true freshman. Yeah. Who just got on campus. Um, but I I do think that you know he struggles, and I think he will because you know our actually our recruiting team actually was was a fan of him last year. They they ranked him kind of highly, especially for a kid going to Arkansas State. But he's probably going to struggle in his first like opportunity starting. It's not mm-hmm. a great system around him, so I think he's going to take the snap week one. They don't play week zero, do they? Week I don't one, believe so. Whatever the first game, the first game of the season. I do think his leash could be a little short. Yeah. Like that's that's a possibility.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Again, I'm trying to make sure I'm going through my notes. Anything else I want wanted to bring up here? Again, again, the passing options, again, Corey Rucker being drafted the highest, but again, that eligibility thing is still kind of sticking out there. Jeff Foreman, he's been he's been a spring darling the last like two years, and then he goes out and does nothing when the actual season comes around. Courtney Corey Jackson. Rucker got his waiver approved, by the way. Okay, cool. Appreciate that. So Corey Rucker is good to go, yeah. y'all. Um, so, yeah, I also draft Corey Rucker out of the bunch here. Um, Courtney Jackson might be somewhat interesting. Again, whenever you see a guy go from the P5 to the G5, you know, st- stuff it in the back of your mind. If you're in a CFF dynasty, just grab him really late in your supplementals. See what happens with him. Because I think he belongs on a pretty deep roster. So we'll see. All right. Let's move on to our next guys over here. Let's go and talk about Colorado State. This was like one of our ultimate—we were a little year—we were a year early on these guys last year. We wanted that Nevada offense to translate so, so quickly over to Colorado State, and it made all the sense in the world. Again, it's the same conference. You're playing up against the same guys, But we really underestimated how much roster turnover we were going to need to see from the Rams before they could get there. Now, given the fact that we have them on this list, you have a pretty good idea that me and Mox are both of the mindset that they have the roster turnover that they needed. And they're ready to improve on what was admittedly, again, a very rough year one here. 3-9, and less than 2,000 yards passing for Clay Millen. They had to rely on the run game a whole lot more because Avery Morrow had a pretty decent year rushing. Um, again, Mox, you, you had a great sat in our guide where they went from 58% neutral game pass rate to 38%. That's a 20% drop in a single year. That's I, I don't want to say it's unheard of because I'm sure there's other examples, but it's still pretty it's darn gigantic. It's a, it's a It's nuts. And then, you know, Torrey Horton was basically carrying the offense last year he caught 64.5 percent of the balls that were thrown to the top three receivers on the team and y'all I thought Arkansas State was bad when it came to giving up sacks Colorado State was the worst team in the country when it came to it they gave up 59 sacks throughout the year that is 4.92 sacks per game and in total it came out to just under 400 total yards of sacks So they get that fix, or hopefully, or I'll I'll throw it over to you, Mox. Did they get that fix? That offensive line is going to be an issue here. But also, did they get the roster turnover they needed at other spots to kind of get this going this year?
1: Yeah, they brought in three, I think, really good FCS transfers on the offensive line. Um Van Henderson at Lane College, Drew Moss out of Lamar, and Oliver Jervis out of Monmouth, who were all, they were all, um, all conference and their respective conference. They also returned their two best linemen, uh, Jacob Gardner and Keegan Hamilton. Gardner is a center. I think that continuity is really important. So I think that unit's definitely gonna be better. And I think that unit was a big problem last year o- overall, right? Because Clay Millen was awesome. Mm-hmm. You, we, we look at the stats and he's like, okay, he kind of sucked, but we look a little, a little bit further deep passing adjusted accuracy. First in the country, 64%, 49% big throw rate, first in the country. Like this is a guy who could only attempt 33 deep passes. Cause he didn't have the opportunities to get three, five step, like five step drops more, more like at all, because the <laughs> offensive line just couldn't hold up. He attempted 33.4, 23.4 passes per game, Nevada averaged 39. So that is a 16 ish pass attempt per game gap between what Norvell traditionally did and what he did last year. I really like the opportunity for his offense to turn around we're going to talk about another offense that had this uh, very similar situation. But when you go from like kind of a broken offensive system, what was being run at Colorado state previously under Steve Adazio. And, and honestly, the last couple of years have been a mess. And then to something totally different, like the air raid, it takes more than one year. So I think year two is where we're going to see a lot of these, these concepts work. And a lot of that is offensive line. Like there's continuity there. It's a whole new system that you have to adjust to. It's not just the players it's system-based. And I think they have a pretty good supporting cast. Mm-hmm. In, in my opinion like, i think the players in this team are good enough to be highly competitive it's just the system man system takes a while to learn
0: well i'm glad you answered already one of my biggest questions cuz one of my there biggest one of my biggest questions at the bottom of my notes here is like is clay millen just not as th- good as we thought he'd be cuz again like you had um um god what's his name the quarterback from north from nevada carson strong, carson strong. it's like yeah carson strong and he turned out to not be a very good quarterback at all he went undrafted in the nfl draft and everything like that so you're really thinking like oh anybody could do this and then clay millen comes in and looks disastrous year one but like you said if you dig a little bit deeper he was a lot better than people were giving him credit for so yeah it turns out he is he's probably as good as we expect him to be
1: i think i think he is i mean he only it's like 14 percent of his total attempts were passed Nineteen yards. Mm -hmm. Like I I think he's a good arm too, and he's weapons that can operate deep. And he was all—he was the best quarterback in the country when he was throwing deep. I think I think the recipe for success is there. We just need him to attempt more than like two deep passes a game. Let's talk about (laughs) some.
0: Let's talk about some of that supporting cast you kind of alluded to there. Obviously, we got Torrey Horton. Everybody loves Torrey Horton. He's a wide receiver forward in ADP. You get him in your late first, early second round. It's pro- probably the reason why some of you are looking at me being like, Jared, how is this an underrated offense? Like One of these guys is going in like the top like 20 picks in every single draft. Yes, but the rest of this team, I think, is super underrated. Because Clay Millen, Dylan Goffney, who transferred in from SMU, both of those guys are going undrafted. Clay Millen might be the the, the bigger um, tragedy there, but then you got Justice Ross Simmons, a very experienced guy with the system at this point. He's going as wide receiver ninety six in draft, so around like your late seventeen, early eighteenth round range, probably a bit wider range than that, but it's kind of around where he's going. And then his this new tight end toy that the Rams have brought over, Mister Dallin Holker. He was a former tight end out of BYU. Had a decent start for the Cougars last year, but kind of stopped his season four games in, said, I'm transferring, keeping that year of eligibility, and is headed over here to the Rams. So, Box, kind of break down some of these toys that Clay Millen here has to work with. Again, obviously, we all love Horton, but what about some of these other guys?
1: Are they valuable in CFF drafts? I think Justice Ross Simmons is. Um, I thought he was pretty good last year. And his first opportunity, uh, I believe he's a true sophomore, right? I'm not. If he's not a true sophomore, he's a second year player or like second yeah. year in terms of opportunity. Um, I think he's a good player, and so I was impressed with what he was able to do in limited work last year. And I think that this offense can support two wide receivers if we get the passing volume that we think we're gonna get. So I, I think you need to be drafting him. Clay Millen is obvious to me that he needs to be, needs to be drafted. It's like even the last round of your draft, just take a stab on him because nobody's taking him now. Um, Then, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Holker. Uh, another, like Norvell's traditionally used the tight end a lot, right? We saw how successful he was with it in Nevada and Cole Turner. So, and they, Holker was like awesome in spring. Like they couldn't stop mm-hmm. talking about him. So I I do think that he could be a pretty big part of that offense. I'm not sure where I, i land on dylan goffney i really like dylan goffney two years ago now is it last year i now i don't now i don't remember i thought he was gonna break out at smu and he didn't he didn't and yeah but i mean it's a pretty shallow wide receiver room so he's probably the guy in in three wide receiver sets and they run a lot of three and four wide receiver sets in the air raid
0: yeah I have a ton, and I mean a ton, of shares of Dallin Holker. Again, like he, again, his ADP is mid-18th round. If I am struggling at tight end, I'd I pretty much put him at the top of my queue at the start of like the 15th round and kind of see where I feel comfortable grabbing him from there because the upside is absolutely insane. Cole Turner in 2020 in a limited action, 49 catches, 605 yards, 9 touchdowns, followed that up with another season – of 62 catches 677 yards and 10 touchdowns if that is what we can expect from down holker he's an absolute steal where he's going but even if he doesn't reach that height it's like let's like like again let's not give him the ceiling right now let's put him like let's put him like at 100 yards less he's still probably going to finish higher than the tight end 27 which is where he's going in adp right now like is that fair for me to say mox
1: yeah i think he's i think he's I don't want to say locked in tight end too, because tight end is like an impossible prediction position to predict outside the top five. But I mean, he's got as good a shot as anyone being drafted in that range to outperform his ADP. How about that? I think that's
0: a fair enough. I think that's a fair enough read right there. Last but not least last year, Norvell had to rely on the run game a lot more than we've kind of typically seen him do at Nevada. He had Avery Morrow have over, I believe over 800 yards carrying Might might've hit 900 yards, but there were times where they just straight up relied on him, he had twenty plus carries in five different games last year. Do we think two two kind of two questions here one, do we think they move back away from that and go back towards the pass like we saw at Nevada to the point where it kind of neuters the run game completely and nobody's valuable there or? does a guy like maybe Kobe Johnson, the running back transfer from North Dakota state still kind of have some value here because there are going to be games where they'll give him some volume or maybe even a freshman like Damian Henderson. How do you kind of read this backfield Mox?
1: So we're pretty sure that Morrow's not playing this year, right? It sounds, it sounds pretty bad with his stuff. Yeah. He, he's facing um, a felony assault charge or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he, yeah, it, it, it's his legal situation is pretty complicated. Um, I thought Mara was pretty good as a player. So I don't know if I want to assign that role to a different running back in the office and say, Hey, like we think that this player could get usage because Mara was involved in the receiving game. And I don't think Kobe Johnson, who could be the RB one is, uh, is the same level of receiver. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to draft a running back out of this room. And if that bites me, then I'll just pick him up off waivers. But there's, there's, I'm very skeptical that we get a repeat performance.
0: Nope. Fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and move on here. Let's go back over from the West Coast all the way to the East Coast down into the crazy land known as Florida with the Florida Atlantic Owls over here. Tom Herman comes in to the Owls. I I forgot what city Florida Atlantic is based out of. That's my bad, y'all. Okay. Um,
1: or are they in Boca Raton? Did
0: I make that Boca, up? No, that's you're right. It's Boca Raton. I remember now because they went to the Boca Raton Bowl, which is basically their home stadium. Um, okay. Anyway, they're moving on from Willie Taggart. They're moving on to Tom Herman, which is, in my opinion, at least on paper, a huge upgrade when it can, when it comes to offensive production. On on paper, in real life, in reality, yeah, yeah. all so, all of the above, definitely. definitely <laughs> <laughs> just a, just an upgrade all around. Um, they bring in Casey Thompson to start at quarterback again. I I doubt that daniel richardson who came in from central michigan is going to really give them any run there herman has produced some great cff quarterbacks in the past you got sam ellinger at texas for three years there greg ward at houston was just an absolute monster for them he's also been really good at at producing some top wide receivers for cff he is tom herman is in the top 20 coaches in America for producing wide receiver points per wide receiver one points per game and wide receiver two points per game you can find all those stats in our guide by the way as well so mox let's start with the quarterback situation and the wide receiver situation here we have Casey Thompson, QB 41 in ADP, kind of being taken around the mid-15th round. LaJonte Wester is definitely the highest guy being taken right now. Mid-8th round, wide receiver 31 off the board. Um, and then Burton, who is everybody kind of believes um, he is kind of the consensus number two guy, uh, Jaquan Burton, he's not being drafted at all. So what do you think about each of those three values right there? And do you think they're underrated compared to what this offense could be, or do you think they're right about where they should be?
1: I like Wester a lot, and I, I have a, a lot of Wester, uh, even from last year. He was, he was a player that I was drafting. You know, he, he's boom potential. He's a pretty talented player. Um, But I I think I'm lower on this offense than, like, anybody else is, apparently. Because I keep seeing everyone is obsessed with Casey Thompson, and I'm like, dude, it's just Casey Thompson. Like, I just... Not that I don't see the path, because we look at Tom Herman's production, like you were talking about. Like he's he's produced running backs at a high rate, receivers at a high rate. He knows how to play with not quarterbacks. running backs
0: typically. It's
1: it's quarterbacks that
0: he does a lot with. Oh,
1: just yeah, quarterbacks, wide receivers. So we know that he can knows how to run a passing offense. I'm still a little skeptical. I'm just I'm just not a Casey Thompson like truther i think he's fine i think he's probably gonna be fine in this conference too but this isn't like a the conference is worse than it was but it's still like probably the top conference in group of five like there are some still some good teams in this conference and in, in the aac and so you know i i like wester and i've talked to some people in uh like scouting circles who think jaquan burton is being heavily underutilized to be a player who um is like going to be in the Shrine Bowl potentially? Okay, I don't know what that means for his production, but they do think he's really talented. Hmm. So do with that information what you will. But I okay. just I I'm lower on the offense than I think everybody else is, but I I I understand the path forward.
0: But like I mentioned earlier, again, we going back to Jaquan Burton and everything. If they do utilize him well, Herman has shown that he can produce wide receiver um, wide receiver two um, fantasy production at a pretty high level. Again, like I said, he's in the top twenty, so. Definitely somebody to keep an eye on at the very end of your drafts. In fact, I'm gonna go. Actually, no, shoot, I'm not gonna say that because uh, we're in the same draft mocks. Um, <laughs>
1: 20, 20, 24 team draft that we're in. CFF dynasty. You mean?
0: Yes, that one. That 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 absolute um, nightmare of a draft. There's uh, no values falling to a, us anywhere in
1: that draft i like i like my team i feel like i'm getting values maybe speak for speak for yourself man yeah i'm I'm glad i'm glad (laughs) you're confident um anyway
0: again casey thompson again i get your point again i if if i were to line up casey thompson versus sam ellinger like yeah sam ellinger is a way more talented quarterback there's a reason why one of them is probably never going to play it down in the nfl one of them is a consistent backup in in the nfl right now like i would i would say that yeah ellinger even though again I am not quite expecting Ellinger-level production here. But you don't. I don't need him to be Ellinger-level production for him to still be a valuable CFF QB because Ellinger was a top-10 QB pretty much every year that he played for Tom Herman at Texas. Casey Thompson playing in a worse, worse conference here. I think he could get pretty close, and I think that could that could be a ton of fun for us everywhere. in the a top-10 like, quarterback? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Both of us saying hold on, on. because I think you might have misinterpreted something.
1: What is Casey Thompson's ceiling in this offense? I think if everything goes right,
0: he could hit Ellinger levels. Probably not as, not at least in terms of the passing game.
1: Probably not oh, quarterback, the rushing... quarterback, quarterback where in, in terms of like uh, finish?
0: I think top 24. I think top 24 is pretty reasonable.
1: Okay. That's, yeah, if everything goes right, he, he might get there. Okay, I thought we were talking top twelve, top fifteen, and I'm like you're not getting there. If he gets if he gets there, I'll get face or something. No, I'm not, <laughs> don't I'm don't not do that,
0: that, Mox. You you know how close no. he got last sorry. time.
1: <laughs> I, I I I just get you know a little excited sometimes, but um, but yeah, sorry. I, I just wanted to make sure that we were on the same page about that because I don't think he has quarterback one in his range of outcomes, and I think I, I think, think he's more likely to glow end quarterback three. I think if his truly
0: ceiling. everything goes right top 12 is it within his range of outcomes but that's not being being reasonable if i'm being reasonable I don't, I, what, has I,
1: to, what has to go right though like i just don't understand that path like wester i think is a good player and i think jaquan burton is a good player but like larry mccammon's nothing kobe lewis is nothing like the, like the offensive line is fine it's not great they don't have any tight end weapons they, their wide receiver depth stinks it's like that's the, the defense, concern that i have i think the core is okay
0: their defense becomes awful. That's part of it going right. And also, the the main question I have with Casey Thompson is how much has Herman let him run? Because Herman is not afraid to let his quarterbacks run. But also, Thompson has never been a guy. Well, again, he got plenty of touchdowns over in Nebraska, so clearly they weren't afraid to kind of let him run sometimes. But he also didn't like you know have mind-blowing rushing production or anything like that. So it's a question of was he being underutilized at a place like, like Nebraska, and Tom Herman's about to unleash him in the running game, or is he just not that good of a rusher, and that's what's going to keep him from getting Ellinger levels?
1: Yeah, I guess I guess that's fair, right? Their offensive line was pretty good last year. They're in, I think twentieth in average line yards, and they bring back three three starters and like four or five guys with experience. So perfect. It could it could happen. I'm skeptical it does, but it could happen. So Mox, you're skeptical of, about Casey Thompson.
0: One guy I cannot understand where people are coming from with this offense is a lot of people have started saying that Larry McCannon McCammon, is worth something. Like He's like worth where he's going in drafts right now. I just really don't see it. Even in the mid-late 15th round where he's kind of been going and everything like that. Like, yeah, he, almost, he had over 200 touches last year. But Tom Herman's been very, very clear that this is going to be a committee approach at the running back position here. Like, it's going to be McCam, it's going to be Kobe Lewis coming over from uh, Purdue slash Central Michigan. And then, um, is it Mobley? Mobley? Um, It's Mobley. But Mobley's going to be involved as well. And everywhere that Herman has gone, he's gone with a committee approach for the most part, except for, I think, his first year at Houston. He went with a he had kind of a true workhorse back. I forget the guy's name off the top of my head. But other than that, he's gone committee approach ever since then. And McCam is nothing really special. Again, he didn't out touch or he didn't outproduce um Mobley on a down-to-down basis last year. So it's not like he's clearing away the best running back on this team. I think that's a complete avoid for me in the fifteenth round. I'm not touching the
1: run game here at all. I mean, if we're talking to best ball, right? I'm looking at his his game log last year. I think he has probably Three weeks, four weeks that he made your lineup. And that is if you didn't really have anything else going on. He's just a low-ceiling player. Like he he scored more than one touchdown in a single week, which was the last week of the season. Um and he eclipsed hundred yards like four times. And i was against Charlotte, Southeast Alabama, FIU, and WKU. Like I just you're you're playing with fire for a guy who had over 210 touches last year. Mm-hmm. 209 touches, sorry. So like I don't think he's going to repeat 209 touches and I don't think he's going to be as efficient. The, the office just isn't good enough to support him plus like 30% of another guy or 30% of a committee. Like even if he gets 60% of touches like I just don't I just don't see it with him. I think he's a low ceiling player. Yeah, fair enough. I, I fully
0: agree with you on that one. That, that that is where we can agree, Mox, Is that uh Logan okay. McCammon is not a value right now. Don't don't buy into that. Let's go over to another team where it feels like the entire team, in some way, is a value. Let's go talk about Fresno State right now. This is a team that has been great for us in CFF the last couple of years, but man, they lose a ton this offseason, and that's kind of the question surrounding everything: is did they lose too much, and can the team recover from that? They lost quarterback Jake Hayner. Running back Jordan Mims, they lose their top three receivers in Jalen Moreno-Cropper, Nico Remigio, and Zane Pope. In terms of some of the guys they gained, though, or it, in addition to the players they lost, they also lose Kirby Moore, their offensive coordinator, over to Missouri. So they're having to replace him as well. In terms of the guys that they've gained, though, they do bring in Mikey Keen, who, one, has a bit more rushing upside than I would say Jay Kaner had, but also there's quite a few people who were kind of on the Mikey Keen train, over at UCF. So, again, you give them, you put him in an Me. offense that has, you know, produced a guy like Jake Haner, who did just get drafted this past year. Maybe they can do something with him. They also bring in a Juco guy in Josiah Freeman, who Jake Haner himself endorsed at the NFL Combine, saying, like, this is your next up guy right here. But what do you think overall, Mox? Like, again, we got a lot of players we'll kind of dive into here, but overall with this offense, like, are you concerned about this offense in terms of just how much they lost? And do you think it's going to kind of be a little
1: bit of a rebuilding process for them, at least this year? So I think that's what the majority of people think, which is why all these players are being pushed down the board. Um, I don't think it's going to be as extreme as, as one would initially believe um, they'll, they lose a lot of production. Yeah. They're, they're bottom 30 in both returning production and offense and defense. So Obviously, that's a concern. And you lose is probably one of the better quarterbacks in the last five, ten years in the group of five level. So, like, yes, those are those are objectively bad things. Um, but I also think Jeff Tedford kind of knows what he's doing. Um, so he was the, he was the head coach before Caleb DeBoer was. He hired DeBoer. DeBoer was the coordinator, um, and then took over. Then went to Washington. Then he came. Jeff Tedford came back, and I think the office is going to be essentially fine. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's probably not going to be as good, but that doesn't mean that there's not going to get production from this. Like, I like Mike Keene. I liked Mike Keene last year. I thought he should have started over JRP. JRP can't throw the ball, but, like, he can run, so that's what happened. He's got smells on, but whatever. Uh, not bitter about it. Um, <laughs> but I keep seeing people, like, Malik Sherrod is, 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 if I had to pick one player being drafted outside the top 30 at his position to finish as a top five RB, it would be him. Like, this offense just consistently uses a primary back. Under Tedford, it was true. Under um, DeBoer, it was true. The, and the offense coordinator is just a guy that they they promoted on staff. Like, Pat McCann is not anybody who is unfamiliar with the system. Like, I, he, he and the offense and DeBoer, like, their M.O. is essentially, hey – Feed the primary guy. And Malik Sherrod was a guy who was excellent in spring. He caught a touchdown pass in the spring game. He caught multiple, had multiple receptions in the spring game. Explosive rusher. Like, I just think that he's a player who can be really, really productive in this offense. So, like he's someone that I have drafted, I think, in almost every draft. I just, I just love the idea of Malik Sherrod. And yeah. I don't think there's a back on this roster who's close. Like Damian Moore is I, in my opinion, not good. Elijah Gilliam. I don't know anything really about him, but I, I don't think he's as good as Mike Sherrod.
0: Yeah, I got Malik Sherrod rated as my RB48. And honestly, I feel like I need to be a bit more aggressive than that because I fully agree with you. Again, like this team, like again, in our guide, you can find which coaches have produced the best running back one uh, fantasy production year over year. And Tedford's in that list. He is number 20th among all coaches in FBS for producing these running back, um, running back ones in terms of points per game. Kind of the downside of Sherrod, though, I would say, is again, like, again, had a bit of a bad performance in a bowl game against Wazoo at the end of the year when he was kind of the guy. But like, if you're going to let one game, one bad game, kind of throw you off of him, I think you were never going to probably
1: draft him in the first place. But again, he's going, and that that Wazoo rushing defense is not bad either. No, it is. By the way, they like that was a good front seven last year, and like that's a pack that's like that's a power five opponent. Like he's not he's going to play like twice like a power five opponent like twice a year. Like that should not scare anyone to the point where they are dropping him like 10, 15 spots in the rankings. No. and again, Cause I've heard that argument a lot and I just don't think it's, it's, it's all that
0: strong. It's not. And again, it definitely doesn't, it doesn't warm putting him down as the RB 75 off the board in most drafts, late 17th round. Like that's an absolute steal for a, again, a, a team that is consistently put out power, like um, put out these workhorse backs makes no sense to me whatsoever. Let's talk about the wide receivers here, Mox. This is where I think both of us are a little bit more skeptical in terms of like trying to find the value here. Again, Josiah Freeman got endorsed by Jake Hayner at the NFL Combine. Kind of shot him up a lot. Shout out to shout out to Eric Froton for getting that information for us. Yes, sir. Appreciate you, Froton. He kind of shot up boards for a little bit there. But it seems like kind of the whole community, the industry has kind of slowly kind of let him drop again to the point now where he is the wide receiver, 83rd off the board, kind of mid to late 16th round. You see people kind of take a shot on him there. You also got Eric Brooks, who is kind of the lead returning receiver there. Where are you kind of finding the value between those two guys, Mox? The,
1: the concern that I have with Freeman is... So I read a lot of the reports out of spring um, and like they talked about him as probably being the wide receiver one, but like he wasn't all over spring reports, like a guy that you would expect that to be the case. And so I, I became a little skeptical. Mm -hmm. I'm not his biggest fan. I don't, I think I maybe drafted him once and I've done like 10, 12 drafts. So like that tells you kind of how I feel about him. Uh, So he's not a player that I'm like rushing to get, but I, but but I think there's a pretty good chance that he is the wide receiver one. Um, I don't. I mean, I don't love Eric Brooks. I think if anything, I'm more interested in um, like Jalen Gill, who they brought in from Boston mm-hmm. College. I think he could be a, a higher impact player than Eric Brooks could. But I I just I just find it so hard to invest in this passing offense because I don't know where it's gonna where it's gonna lead, and I just think it might be a low A dot a low average depth of target um, passing scheme. And so, I mean, that benefits a guy like Malik Sherrod, again, and probably Mike Keane using his legs a little bit more than we've seen in the past. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Uh, I'll finish off with one last kind of note here. Again, we kind of both agree that, again, a lot of, lot of production is gone. There's going to be a lot of very, I would say, raw talent kind of being put out there for Fresno State. The good news is, at least according to CFB winning edge and his numbers right here, Fresno State has the seventh easiest team or easiest schedule in the entire country this year. Their toughest games are Purdue are. and Arizona State, so neither one of those are really world beaters in the Power Five. And both Arizona of, does, State doesn't scare me at and, all. And both of, them, both of those games are in the first three weeks of the season. After that, it is smooth, smooth sailing for Fresno State when it comes to the defenses they're facing. So if you have a team with a ton of kind of raw new guys that's the kind of schedule you'd want them to face so they're probably going to be, perform a little bit better than like even if they performed against their regular schedule so just one last note to kind of throw out there i i think mox and i both agree that this is a heavily underrated offense going into this year especially guys like Marie, malik Schrod are just being criminally criminally underdrafted right now all right Yep. Let's move on to our next team here, because again, we're about 40 minutes in, so I want to make sure that we get out at some point here, Mox. Um Let's <laughs> go to Georgia Tech. This is our first power five team. I am going to I'm gonna try to kind of put out my whole argument for this team because nobody on this team is getting drafted right now. Um, except maybe Malik Rutherford, late in like 20 plus round range and everything. But for the most part, like nobody's really being drafted pretty highly here. Jeff Collins is out. Brent Key is in. GT kind of made a, I want to say a surprise hire, but they made, they hire Buster Faulkner from Georgia. He's an offensive analyst over there. He is coming in and is set to run a very similar system to Todd Monken. There was a lot of talk in Georgia circles that if Monken were to leave, that that Faulkner would be the guy that they would use to replace him. Well... Monken took too long to make his decision. Faulkner had an opportunity at Georgia Tech, and they went with they went that direction. And so now Georgia has Mike Bobo. Um, so, Whoops. so you got Buster Faulkner going over to Georgia Tech. Again, he's going to run a very similar system to Monken. Again, Monken's system was one of the best offenses in the entire country last year. They add in two receivers from the portal from big-time Power 5 programs. You got Christian Leary coming in over from Alabama, and then you got Dominic Blaylock coming in from Georgia, who's was very reliable in the slot over there. They got Malik Rutherford returning there. They also add in Brett Scyther, a tight end coming over from Georgia. So again, familiarity with the coach. We saw what Faulkner and Monken were willing to do with tight ends with guys like Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. You get the Monken-style offense in the ACC where they are going to be forced to pass more due to game script because Georgia Tech's defense is atrocious. To me, kind of my argument here is like, tell me that couldn't be a ton of fun right here. The main problem is, of course, one, the schedule for Georgia Tech is awful, especially in the playoffs. They got Clemson and Georgia in weeks 11 and 13. And then really the main question is, what, what are they going to do with QB? Because it's either Haynes King or Zach Pyron, neither of which really strikes a lot of confidence into anybody. But regardless, the fact that none of these guys are even kind of being, t- have, nobody's really taking shots on a lot of these guys, to me, feels like a mistake. What do you think, Mox?
1: Yeah, uh, I, so I expect Zach Pryor to be the guy at quarterback, um, which I think is better for this offense than Haynes King uh, because I think the, the best player on this offense is going to be Malik Rutherford. And he's being drafted sometimes. I don't want to say he's being drafted a lot, but he, he's a player who, would it surprise you if at the end of the day he had like 800 yards and 800, 900 yards and like eight touchdowns? Not at all. That so be- I feel like that's... And, and to get there... You're looking at boom weeks because he's probably going to do essentially nothing against Clemson and Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, My struggle that probably going to struggle against Miami. So you're looking, but the schedule is like pretty, pretty good. Right? you have SC state, you have Bowling green, you have Boston college, you have UNC who's always porous on defense. And you have a, a Virginia team who I don't think is going to be competitive on defense either this year. So you're looking at a guy who can win you weeks. So he's a player that I'm much more interested in potentially in best ball. Mm -hmm. when I don't have to worry about knowing or a player that I know that I'm going to get like four or five starts out of and just say, Hey, like he could sit on my bench for the rest of the time. Cause you're going to know which weeks to start this dude. Um, So I, I, I found myself really liking Malik Rutherford. He was awesome in spring too. Like they couldn't Mm -hmm. stop raving about how good he was. Um, I think Christian Leary is pretty interesting as well. Um, I just don't know how he's going to get utilized. So I'm, but like he could be a player who sees like, four or five touches like it, a Curtis, Sam, think Curtis Samuel in Washington, right? Like a player yeah. who could see like four or five touches out of the backfield and a player who can catch six passes a game that none, like that utilization wouldn't surprise me either because he is a player who did play running back in high school was kind of utilized there at Alabama when he got on the field. So I, I think there's a lot to be excited about, honestly, for this Georgia tech offense, I, I don't know what the ceiling is, but I do think there's players who are going to be fantasy relevant that you probably need to consider drafting. And I, I, I think Lake Rutherford is one of them. And in deep leagues, Christian Leary is probably the other.
0: What about Brett Sither again, coming over from Georgia, following, following Buster
1: Faulkner? <laughs> I trust I trust you more because you, you're more familiar with him. I, I honestly don't know much about him outside of the fact that he's probably the, the tight end one in this offense. And the offense is, is one that likes to utilize the tight end. So, but I mean, I haven't drafted him and I don't think he's being drafted but tight end premium leagues or at least where you need to start too, like, that doesn't feel like a bad bet. No, again, is he, is he he like a dynamic athlete or is he just like a reliable, like definitely get you eight yards
0: when you need it. Definitely more closer to the reliable side here and everything like that. But again, like him going from the sec to the ACC, maybe he can be utilized a little bit better there. I don't know. But again, like you said, mocks like outside of the top five guys in CFF thing like tight end is just so hard to predict. Why not take a shot on a guy that is following a guy where, again, we've seen one of the best tight ends in the country come out of the last couple of years. So we can definitely yeah. see there. And this, and this is an offense that returns all five offensive lines. Yep. So
1: like that's but, huge. Consistency.
0: That's huge. But also they were one of the worst in terms of giving up sacks last year and everything like that. They
1: were 117th in sacks allowed last year. So like it, but that bring it back it makes exper- me feel better that the units, the unit is showing consistency because I, I think the unit can be, more than it's, it's some of parts in, in this case. Like, I think, yeah, like it was a hodgepodge, not very good unit last year, but I do think, you know, another year in this a very similar system, not having to worry about the Jeff Collins circus. I think you can, I think there's reasons to be excited or at least tentatively excited about this offensive line, because when you return five starters, like that matters because there's familiarity and, I, I just think the unit is more important than like, I don't think any of these offensive linemen are all that good, mm. but can they outperform their individual abilities? I think that's a possibility that doesn't, uh, this also doesn't mean that I'm drafting Dante Smith or Travion Cooley. That just means that I think the offense isn't going to be hand hindered by like horrible negative plays.
0: Yeah, speaking of that running back room and everything, I think this will be continued to be a running back by committee. Not only because, again, yeah. Monk can utilize the running back by committee at Georgia. Faulkner's probably of the same mindset. But again, you got Dante Smith, Trayvon Cooley, two kind of senior guys there. Neither one of them are great. So I don't think either one of them are going to break from the pack. And then also Evan Dickens is a running back, a true freshman running back that has gotten a lot of praise this spring from coaching staff and from some of the older players about how quickly he was able to pick up the playbook, and if this is Monkin's playbook like that Faulkner's kind of bringing over and everything, that's a difficult playbook to comprehend. So he's probably going to be able to get into the mix there as well, maybe even take over some of the other younger guys that are there. It's probably going to be a three-headed monster running back if they're going to run the ball a ton, so I wouldn't trust any of these running backs. Yeah. All right. Let's go from Georgia, fly way out west, and let's go to Hawaii. Once again, another one of these teams I think we are a year early on last year because we didn't expect... Timmy Chang and them to just straight up not install the run and shoot last year. And then they just, and they're like, yeah, we'll do that a year too. I'm like, I don't know why you didn't start a
1: year early. And if it didn't work, but I think whatever. That, so what, so what happened, or at least what, what I was reading happened was they got like into spring practice started and we're like, Oh gosh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> I just, I just stopped. And so they ran a super vanilla offense last year because, okay, gotcha. Okay, that then
0: that would definitely make sense. Again, like if this is truly the run and shoot offense that we're gonna get this year, like they said, like they said they're going to install this spring. We know there's gonna be fantasy value here, because that's just what the run and shoot system gives us. The problem is there's just so little information that comes out of Hawaii. It's so hard to nail down who is going to be the value here. Let's look at some of the players that are involved here. Brayden Schrager, we pretty much are pretty solid that he will be the starting quarterback. Taking a QB seven or QB fifty-seven in drafts like end of round 18 typically so you're probably looking at him as like your fourth or fifth option or actually fifth or sixth option at qb off the board Kylan hines is their running back end of the 14th round typically uh rb62 in drafts very explosive guy but again run and shoot system how much volume is he going to get the interesting part is once again we know there's going to be fantasy value at the wide receiver but currently all three guys that people are kind of looking at like pinocchio uh Hines and Walthour or w- Walthall, Walthall 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 um they're all going outside that round 20 range Like nobody's really kind of like reaching up to grab any one of those guys so Mox, like how what, what have you been able to find with the Rainbow Warriors here man like what are what what guys are you kind of looking at here
1: yeah i so i've been pretty aggressive with with Tylen Hines all off season uh drafting him i I am not as worried, I think, as some people are about the system because I, I, he he's a player who is like a Calvin Turner-type mm-hmm. player for Hawaii. So like if you remember what Turner did, he was heavily involved in the passing game. Hines is the same type of player. I think he has – if he doesn't have RB wide receiver eligibility, that is how he's going to be deployed at Hawaii. So I think he's a player who I, – I kind of equate this to Jaquavius Marks at um, Mississippi State. He's a player who could catch legitimately 50 passes, in my opinion. So, I think that upside is there for him. And I think he's going to be used as the primary back. He's not big. Like, no, he's, he's not same big. Same thing at with all. Malik Sharad, right? Malik Sharad was 180. Talon Hines, I think, is like 185, maybe. No, he's a 5'7", se- really... 170.
0: I just I, I okay, looked it up before s- the show. He's a, he's a pretty okay, small so he's guy. Sm-
1: he's, he's smaller than that, but it doesn't matter. In these these conferences, like they run these dudes who are tiny Mm -hmm. up the middle all the time and and get them in space. And this is an offense that I think will get him in space and heavily utilize him as a receiver. So I really like what I've seen from Hines. Also drafting a lot of Braden Shager. Um, So last year, they were 30th in offensive pass rate in neutral game scripts uh, at 52%. I expect that number to jump like 10%-ish like 60 plus 62 63 which would be top 10 like this is an office that really wants to run um a bunch of air raid concepts so like timmy chang obviously ran that one with june jones in hawaii uh and ian shoemaker who is the office coordinator came over from eastern washington another air raid team like you'll you'll get some version of the run and shoe air raid like all of those concepts implemented this year that they focus on implementing that in the spring it will definitely happen so this office is going to be a lot uh, more pass heavy. The other thing, which is why I like this offense's ceiling overall, is they just weren't running that many plays last year. Like mm-hmm. they they were basically playing keep away as much as they could because they didn't have the ability to run the system that they wanted to. So they were 105th in offensive pace. So like plays per minute, I don't. I just don't think that's what they want to do. Ian Shoemaker um, ranked ninth in plays when he was his last season at Eastern Washington. Like play, plays per second. Like I or plays per minute. I think he wants to run a fast offense, and he wasn't able to last year because he didn't have the, the players to do so. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's definitely an improvement. I'm drafting Shager. I'm drafting Hines. I think you just take a stab at the receiver that you want to at this point. Like mine's been Jonah Pinocchio. Uh, I, he, he's the most tenured guy. He's one of the most experienced. I've been tra- targeting him. Um, I know that others really like Chucky Hines. Or, mm-hmm. I, I, I believe it's pronounced Chucky. I don't think it's Chucky. It is Chucky. I, I don't, everybody I've heard
0: has okay. said Chucky.
1: Okay, so Chucky Hines and I, I think I think Mike Bambridge is someone who really likes yes, he Hines because um, he, he projects him to be a slot receiver there. So it's I all, all of these are all, all these guys Jalen Hall, Jonah Pinoke and Chucky Hines are all guys you I think you can target. Just pick one and take a stab.
0: Yeah, because again I'm I, I'm fully with you. To me, this situation in Hawaii is kind of a very similar one to like what's going on in Kentucky and everything, where like you have two guys, and I think most people are either in on Pinoke or Chucky Hines at this point. One of them is Ben is in the what people would say is like the historically productive spot. So like Tavian Robinson at Kentucky is going to play in the slot. Liam Cohen loves to target the slot, but then you have the guy on the outside, Barry and Brown, Jonah Pinoke in this instance, who are probably the more talented guys. The, like, they are probably going to be the ones that are going to be able to make the big plays a bit more. So which one do you kind of take your stab on? I, like you said, Mox, I think that's really up to each individual drafter. I'm a systems guy, so I'm probably going to have more Chucky Hines than I am going to have Jonah Pinocchio. But at the same time, I do see a world where this offense, like even though they typically tar- target the slot, they're more than willing to kind of shift things over and target the just most valuable guy on the field. Because that's just what good
1: offensive coordinators do a lot of times. So. I, you know who might be the wide receiver one on this team? It might be Tylen Hines. He might lead them in receptions. He could.
0: And and like, I think, it, it, in which I think case, that would be
1: incredible. The answer, like I, if I had to, if I had to bet right now, who has the most receptions? Like he'd probably be second. Wow. Like a wide receiver, one would be first. I don't. Oh, yeah, I want. What a Pinocchio or Hines? But I think, or Chucky Hines. I think Tylen Hines could probably be second in, on this team in receptions and. I, I don't know. I just think he has like fifty sixty reception upside in this in this offense. Maybe I'm just totally off, and all of my ton Hines will just be lit on fire. But I I just really like him. I just think he's, and I just think he's a good player at the end of the day. So like his role, his utilization, like all of those things line up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Again, I'm I'm not gonna argue with you on any of that right there. But we will definitely see. Let's go back. Let's get back stateside here. Let's go and or continental stateside here. And let's go talk about the Temple Owls here, man. This is like Temple has typically historically just been a team that we CFFers just forget about. Like it's never been like a team that people really love to get value out of here. But this year got a lot of people are kind of very interested in this group, mostly because they're terrible. And last year, that terribleness led to an insane number of passes from quarterback EJ Warner who in the second half of the season averaged 48.3 passes per game and thankfully completed a lot of those. He was in the second half of the season had a 60 plus percent completion percentage. So it's not like he was throwing a ton of balls that were all just hitting the ground. Here is my concern though. I still think Temple's going to be bad. So I think they're like, I'm not worried about the game script, even though they did only uh, pass 40% of the time when they were in neutral game scripts last year. But I don't think they're going to be in neutral game scripts that often here. The the thing that concerns me the most is the fact that while EJ Warner was passing almost 50 times per game last year, his average yards per attempt in the second half of the season was 6.75 yards per attempt. So they're just, they're not throwing the ball deep down the field whatsoever. And that to me limits the upside here for this system. But EJ Warner is not the only guy here. Again, the, you want to bet on the volume? That's great. Maybe they, may, hopefully they put put it down the field a little bit more often. But Ahmad Anderson Jr. is a wide receiver that I'm starting to get a little bit more interested in here. Because he, again, in a PPR league, if, if you're the wide receiver one on a team that's passing almost 50 times per game, that can lead to an insane number of receptions. Even if you're not doing much with those receptions, like in PPR league, that's absolutely insane. And then the same goes for a guy like at tight end and David Martin Robinson, who in two out of his three last games last year, he had 10 plus targets like Mox. I know you wrote an article on uh, David Martin Robinson and everything like that. So you want to dive a little bit more into him? What's going on there?
1: Yeah. I mean, he just down the stretch. He was one of the most uh, utilized options of the position. And I think that's by design. I don't think that's by accident. I mean, he would, if you look at his last six games, he would be or last eight games. I apologize. Um, he would be, fourth among all tight ends in returning uh target share that that's a player that i think you really want to be looking at it's like if he's gonna get you know six targets per game at the tight end position he's definitely gonna outperform our current expectations for him so yeah he's a guy that I'm, i'm pretty aggressive with drafting um i've also taken a lot of ej warner to be honest i i just see this offense passing 40 plus times a game he's the best player in the field like why would you not put the ball in his hands and like not handed off to EJ Wilson and Edward Sadie like thirty times a game. I just maybe maybe I'm wrong about what this offense really wants to do, but I think you got EJ Warner who surprised with how good he was last year. And I think they're just gonna like they like put the ball in his hands and let him throw fifty times a game. What's the worst thing that's gonna happen? You're freaking Temple man. I was say like seriously.
0: Yeah, no, I don't. I, 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 I think that's exactly kind of the right way to think about it here and everything. And again, I'm hoping they kind of bring up that average yards per attempt because I, I, hope they get way more I aggressive think, than they
1: did. I think they will. Um, and again, right, we're talking about an offensive line that was bad last year, but returns four. So like, this is a George Det corollary we just talked about, which is like, mm-hmm. yeah, they return a lot of offensive linemen and experience, but like they weren't good. So how much does it does that familiarity within the system matter? Um, so I think it's going to be better unit because like they were 124th in average line yards last year, so like they mm-hmm. weren't a good unit. Um, also, so they do return their four best linemen, in my opinion. I so. It's also
0: one of the worst rushing teams in in general because like Edward Sadie just no don't perfect, run,
1: he, just run, just sh- throw it 60 times. Like what what who is stopping you? Nobody,
0: nobody. But here here's the other question I kind of have about this team again. Temple, we we both agree Temple's terrible. Like even if they do throw 60 times a game, there's not really much upside to this team in general. Especially when it comes to touchdowns, like there were, there. That's kind of the main thing here. Is that like, yes, Jose Barban went had seventy two catches for nine hundred eighteen yards last year. Like that's an that's a great stat line for a CFF wide receiver. Yeah. Except for the fact that he only had two touchdowns. Like that's what that like that's what's going to keep you from starting him on a week by week basis in a lot of leagues is that you know for a fact that like at max, he's going to get one touchdown because that's how many touchdowns temple is going to score. So where, where do they improve on that? And especially for a guy like Ahmad Anderson, who I like in terms of the volume and everything, that is kind of the thing that scares me into drafting him where he's currently going around the mid 18th round and everything like that. That makes it feel a bit more fair for him to go that late. What do you say to that Mox?
1: Yeah. And so I think they were historically low in terms of um, drive to, like, points per opportunity. Like, I expect their points per opportunity to go up simply because I just think EJ Warner is better than 30 of the worst quarterbacks in the country, mm-hmm. essentially. Like, that's the bet uh, that I'm making, that Temple, who was bottom five in points per opportunity last year, is just going to be better, period. Okay. I just think I just think um, statistics is literally the answer, answer to that. It's like, you cannot be that bad with how many times you were how many plays you're running plus how efficient your offense was um, in terms of production. So like, I just don't, I just don't think those two will match. Yeah. Like I, I just, th- I just think statistically it can only get better. Yeah, no, again, that's you're, my, you're, that's my answer. So I'm just, I'm just based, I'm just basing it on, Hey, like law of averages, man.
0: I would say that's what you're, that's exactly what you're arguing is that you're like, things are going to regress to the mean. Like it, if, if it happens again yeah. this year, that's just incredibly bad luck on Temple's part.
1: And some offenses are like that too. Yeah. Like some offenses are just bad and can't convert. But like Temple, I, I think is better than like a bottom five unit. I think they're a bottom 30 unit. But the difference between that, like bottom five and bottom 30 is huge when we talk about fantasy production. So, Mox, one more thing before we move on from Temple here. Um,
0: I forgot to mention some of the ADPs of the guys that are going through here, but I did want to get your reaction on this. What do you think the ADP of Martin Robinson is right now? For a guy that a position he- or around? Um, either one. Um,
1: tight end twenty seven. Okay, not that low. He's tight end eighteen right now. Okay, I, th- I I, He he must have risen a lot in the last
0: month or so. I th- and based on the way we talk about him, and like you said, the like with the target share that he's getting, I'm kind of like I'm kind of surprised he hasn't risen higher because you wrote a very convincing article on him and everything about him being one of those guys. Like again. After, like, what? I'm looking at my tight end rankings here. Like, pretty much after tight end five with, like, Luke Lachey, like, starting with RJ Maryland and everybody down from there like that, like, it's a big hodgepodge of guys who are just taking shots on. I figured when an article like you wrote came out about how great, like, the upside of David Martin Robinson is, I thought he would, like, shoot up into people's, like, top 12. He'd be a guy going
1: off in the same range as, like, Jim Conyers, Brady Hunt. I don't have the power that, that, like, Austin Nace has when he talks about a player on, on campus life. Like he he moves mountains. He moves ADP like someone could move mountains. I I have I just don't have that power. I'm surprised. So I'll, dude. I'll take I'll I'll take all the David Martin Robinson discount that I I can get.
0: I'm surprised, dude, because you again
1: you you wrote
0: a great article on that, which you should go check out at Um Let's move on to another team here. We're going back out west coast. This is what happens when I am doing things alphabetical. We just end up hopping around all over the country. Let's talk about the UNLV Rebels over here. Again, the big story here, Brennan Marion coming in to be offensive coordinator with his go-go style offense. Moxie, you have kind of dug deep on what he was able to do at some of his previous stops at William & Mary and at Howard. What can we kind of expect from this go-go offense at UNLV this year?
1: Yeah. So for those who aren't super familiar with, with what the offense is, it's kind of an offshoot of Gus Malzahn's offense. So uh, he was uh, the wide receiver under Malzahn at Tulsa kind of jumped. He's been kind of all over the place. He's been in the NFL. He's been in college, but he really developed this go-go offense at William and Mary and Howard and kind of refined it. What it is is it relies on two backs in the backfield, a, need a mobile quarterback, very heavy reliance on uneven formations, um, takes a lot of the spread options, spread offense concepts, and then takes the triple op- option co- op- option concepts. And he describes it as you can run any play in the playbook with with, with his combination of things. And I think that's true. I think it's a pretty interesting offense in the way he the way he runs it. But two backs and a very mobile quarterback with any information is how I would describe it like in one sentence. Um, I think this offense can work. There's skepticism about whether it can and whether or not they have the pieces to run it. I, I just, I trust the ingenuity of this offense enough. So when last time that we saw him be, um, like calling plays, look at Kayla Newton, who's Cam Newton's brother at, at mm-hmm. William and Mary, ran for 1,200 yards and 16 touchdowns. Newton was at Howard. Oh, Howard. Yes. Yeah, sorry. I'm getting my. Get, I'm getting all my uh, FCS. Teams mixed up today.
0: Oh, all three, um, all three hundred of
1: them. Well, like, although how many FCS teams are there? I forget. Didn't Newton follow him to William and Mary for a year? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, it, I could look at either way. Kalen Newton ran for twelve hundred yards and sixteen touchdowns, and he averaged eight point seven yards per attempt, which tells me that this isn't just like a short to line of scrimmage offense. This is an offense that wants to at least try to push the ball downfield. And I think they have two good receiving options. In there with Ricky White and Jacob DeJesus, who, you know, they both played a lot out of the slot last year. DeJesus will definitely operate out of the slot because he's like, he, he's like really, really tiny. Yes. But he's a really dynamic player. Um, Ricky White's definitely being drafted. DeJesus, I don't believe is, unless he's going like around 19 or 20. Yeah. So he's a guy that I like. And they lost Jeff Weimer to uh, the portal maybe two weeks ago now, mm-hmm. Um, a really late entry. And so I I think that those two could see like 30% of target shares each. I just don't like the options behind them all that much. Um, I, I just think this offense has upside. I really do. I really like this, th- their potential this year and long-term.
0: Yeah. I think, and again, some of the things that might pop up when people talk about this offense is like, well, okay. They have Barry Odom. He's a defensively minded head coach and everything like that. But I mean, history shows that Odom is not afraid to take his hands off the offense. Like, namely, look at what Josh Heupel was able to do at Missouri in 2016 and 2017. Like, Odom is not afraid. Barry, to-
1: Barry Odom, he's a smart guy. Yeah, like he knows, he knows, he knows that he's not an offensive guy. So he hires the best offensive guy he can. Brennan Mary. He wanted, he wanted Bobby Petrino. <laughs> yeah, literally. that was Which I which, which listen, it, you, you could say a lot about Bobby Petrino, but he knows how to run an offense. This That's is true. A, that is his one positive quality. This
0: is very, very true. Um, again, uh, other things here and everything like that. Um, like you mentioned, Ricky White being taken in the mid-15th round. Wide receiver 74. I think that's a steal compared to where he's going. And then Jacob de Jesus, like you mentioned, he is he is a guy going drafted outside the top 20 rounds and everything like that. He's definitely a guy I would shoot late for in some of your drafts. Courtney Brees is the... Supposed next guy up at running back, he kind of looks to replace Aiden Robinson. I don't think we can really expect too much out of him. Because again, I went back and looked at what Brennan Marion was able to do with running backs at William & Marion, at Howard, and there's just really not much there. So I wouldn't take the shot there.
1: The problem is he keeps two on the field at all times, essentially. Yeah. Like there's no, there's not a primary back in this, in this system. Oh, And, and he, there's like, nev- there's never been. And he loves
0: to run his quarterbacks, which is another reason why he should probably yes. take a shot on Doug Brumfield. Like the, I would say just the absolute insane rushing numbers I've seen out of some of his quarterbacks of William and Mary and
1: Howard are just, Oh yeah. Mouthwatering for CFF. K- Kalen knew. And who like is like a quarter of the athlete that he is of his brother, Cam, mm-hmm. like, was a monster on the ground oh yeah like, like doug brumfield is, is a legitimately really athletic quarterback and so he only had i think 33 design rushes last year like it wouldn't surprise me if that number was like 60 100 oh no okay, like okay, 100. okay okay we're going even I mean, right. more than more than 10 design rushes a game i mean or 100 12 game let's say eight design eight, rushes a game eight design rushes a game makes sense so like ninety, let's say like like between ninety and hundred, I don't think it's out of the question. If you're getting like ninety to two hundred design rushes, like that's going to be a productive player. Plus, we I think we like the wide receivers. Like yeah, Ricky White was really inconsistent last year. Like he his, his he had a lot of trouble with drops. But if he if he can improve, I I think there's a lot of upside there.
0: So monks, I got two more questions for you. We're gonna look at the schedule of UNLV here because that is kind of another selling point for this offense taking off here. Um, this upcoming year. They're like top three in third. Uh, according to CFB winning edge, they're the third easiest schedule among G five yeah. teams this year. I'm gonna I'm gonna list off the names and you give me a thumbs up or thumbs down of whether you start Ricky White or Doug Brumfield that week. I mean, obviously it depends on your team, but just like in a vacuum, would you start them? Okay. Bryant. Yes. This is an obvious no, but Michigan. <laughs> no. Vanderbilt.
1: Probably not. UTEP yes why absolutely nevada no question colorado state billion percent fresno state uh probably new mexico
0: yep hawaii or not hawaii wyoming uh yeah probably air force probably not san jose state yep like that, that that's like what three-fourths of the schedule that you're pretty just pretty confidently saying yeah. yes, that you're going to start them that week. That's another reason why it did like, again, if, if things don't work out, like if, if they're not going by mid season, obviously that's not the, like, then we were probably just a year too early on this offense and everything like that. But if they get going, like you got a great back half of the schedule there where you're pretty much starting them pretty much any given week right there. That's my last question to Mox.
1: Percentage is Doug, is Doug Brofield
0: being drafted right now, by the way? Yes, he is. Um uh, like mid late nineteenth okay. round. So QB sixty one. Oh, that's about right. Okay. Um last question, Mox. What percentage chance would you put on out there that we're a year early on this offense?
1: Fifty percent. You think it's about 50 think, fifty shot? 50-50 shot we're just a year early and they just don't have the the pieces to run this offense. I think that might be true just because I don't like the receiver depth all that much. I don't like Courtney Reese or Vincent Davis. Um, they don't really have like the, the, the offensive line wasn't very good last year. Um, they were 122nd in average line yards. They did they, mm-hmm. they add two transfers, one from Arkansas and one from Buffalo, who are um, better than anybody they had. But there's a, there's a, it might be like 60, 40 that we're year too early, but that shouldn't, but, but given where they're going in drafts, a, yes given where they're going like the upside is clearly there especially for a player like brumfield and ricky white like they, they have the potential to finish top 24 of their position yeah brumfield's being a i guy don't know like, that brumfield will get there but he could but like brumfield again brumfield's like your fifth or sixth quarterback off the board like if you
0: if you don't nail your fifth or sixth perfect, quarterback perfect off the board, sixth quarterback like you perfect are like you're not crying yourself to sleep at night ricky white he is your sixth seventh wide receiver off the board typically if you don't nail that you're not crying yourself to sleep at night Jacob de Jesus. and you get he just invest in
1: upside at that point. Exactly. Hey, when you're getting to your tier sixth or seventh wide receiver, just take upside shots. Guys are going to win you leagues. Like you don't have to play it safe. Like who would, if you want to win, you have to take upside shots. And this offense isn't an, an an upside shot offense, and the defense is terrible. It's so truly horrendous. That's my selling point. Yeah.
0: All right. Speaking of upside offenses that may not survive in or they may not get going in year one, but Also have terrible defenses. Let's go back to South Florida going way back over to the East Coast. Let's go talk about the South Florida Bulls here. Again, big headliner of the offseason. Alex Golish, the offensive coordinator the last two years at Tennessee, is taking over as the head coach. All expectations are he's going to bring a very similar style offense over here to South Florida. He has two offensive coordinators, but they're kind of OCs and name only. They're more there to make sure that that system runs as well as it possibly can. The main kind of things here are, is this a year too early for this offense? Because they lose a little bit during the offseason. Their two best receivers, Xavier Weaver and Jimmy Horn, are both lured away by Colorado and Deion Sanders. Not really a lot of solidified guys there behind them that they've even brought in. So we'll get to them in a second. We'll start at the quarterback situation here, Mox. Byron Brown, man, what a finish to the season that he had, all right? Like, oh yeah. The the passing numbers were kind of okay. I mean, the game against Tulsa was great, you know, 243 touchdowns, but man, his rushing numbers. 12 attempts, 76 yards and a touchdown against Tulsa. 16 or 15 attempts, um 109 yards and two touchdowns against UCF like We know for a fact Alex Golish is not afraid to run his QBs. Again, we saw that with Hendon Hooker. So it's not like Brown's going to get neutered with Golish coming in here. They're going to utilize his legs, and they're probably going to improve his passing game with the simplified concepts that they're going to be running in that kind of system. So Byron Brown is there. We're all hoping he's the starter, but Gary Bohannon's still kind of hanging around and everything like that. Are you nervous at all about him being a threat here, Mox? Or are we pretty sold on Byron Brown? I'm pretty sold on Byron Brown.
1: I'm I'm pretty sold. if if Bohannon had. Uh, played in the spring, I would be less convinced, but I mean, he was hurt all spring. And so I, I don't think there's a chance that he's going to jump him after not playing and being able to install the new concepts. Like you're not, I just, I find it hard to believe that Bohannon's is going to be rolled out there af- after that. Um, so yeah, I like, I like Brown. Um, and I, he was really efficient last year on the ground too. like 31 attempts for 179 yards is really good. Considering that counts sack yardage. Mm-hmm. So we know that he's a, a, an above average rusher at the position. There's a lot to like about that profile. If if there's one offense on this list, though, that I think we're year too early on, it's this one.
0: Yeah, I think that's kind of that's, that's really the thing that nags me in the back of my head because I love Byron Brown. I've been drafting a ton of him. I've been taking shots on Naquan Wright, Kelly Joyner, who we'll get to go, those guys here in a second. I've been taking shots on them as well. Um, I guess we'll go ahead and get into this receiver situation. So again, Horn, Weaver, they're gone. They're going to Colorado. really wish they would have stayed because I would have been way more confident in this offense. But Kelly Joyner is a running back in this system, but he's kind of been like more of that kind of scat back where they've been passing him a ton out of the backfield. He's apparently moved over to slot. Um, I don't know if it's full time, but he's moving over to slot, which again, if you watch Tennessee the past couple of years, that slot position has been very, very productive. So he's by far the most experienced player in the receiver room. Again, he's not obviously been a receiver very long, but he's like, he's a guy that the, that the coaches have clearly trust to move over there. They also bring in Michael Brown Stevens, the wide receiver out of Minnesota that a lot of us kind of liked going into last year. he didn't really do anything for the Golden Gophers, so he's there. And then, Mox, you mentioned um, in your uh, write-up for this team in the CFF guide about, and I'm pronouncing this correctly, I hope, Naeem Simmons. I believe he is coming up from, the, is it Juco or the FCS? Um, you kind of mentioned Please, him. FCS transfer. Can you kind of dive into those two guys right there? Um, what do you what are you kind of expecting out of this receiver room?
1: Yeah, if I had to like plant my fly on somebody, it would be Michael Brown Stevens because he's a you know a power five guy who is coming to, down in, from Minnesota, and I think that you know there's a lot to like about the idea of a power five guy headed to the AAC. The problem um,
0: is the last two guys <laughs> that came that came from the power five to USF, um, Joffrey Brown and Ajoa Joe. From UNC and Clemson, respectively, both completely flamed out here, but also
1: does not
0: the same coaching staff. So,
1: yeah. Well, so I think the most electric player in this room is going to be Naeem Simmons. Um, he was really, really good last year at Wagner. Um, coming up from the F- FCS level, he had uh, 50 catches for 796 yards and six touchdowns. And this is not an offense that was like really high flying and like, fantastic like passing offense like he he was the guy Mm -hmm. um and he was also the leader in a whole bunch of like he was an all-conference player um he wasn't an all-american but he was like the best receiver in his conference northeast i think it's like the northeast conference i i I try to remember what the nec is but i'm pretty sure it's the northeast conference so he's a pretty yeah he's a pretty dynamic player um probably gonna operate out of the slot and i think that that could be the role that was somewhat held by Jalen Hyatt last year. Like if you want to make a one-for-one comparable to somewhere where Galesh was, uh, I think Simmons could be used similarly. They're, they're they're similar size and they're kind of similar profiles. Like he's 5'10", 180. Uh, speed is his calling card. Like he, like he operates deep better than anywhere else. Like if you want to take a stab really late in drafts, like that's somebody that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I'm
0: I'm gl- I'm glad you're able to break that down because again, like I I literally read that in the guide. This is also part of the reason why you should get the guide because there are things in there that I didn't even know about because we have such an incredible team at CF at the campus again over here for the CFF team that we're able to find all these amazing nuggets. So good on you, Mox. You found something that even I didn't know and he, about. And he's probably
1: the if I if I had to guess based on spring and and his background. He's probably the primary kick returner and punt returner. It's like you know he's going to be on the field and like be able to showcase his ability. Like always something that I I think is important when trying to impress a new coaching staff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll touch on the running
0: back situation here, and I can already kind of hear some people kind of goffing a little bit being like, Oh, like Alex College didn't really feature a back over at Tennessee and everything like that. Why are we concerned about what he would do a running back over at USF? As I kind of dive deeper into like the coaching trees that have kind of sprouted off some of these kind of veer and shoot systems. And again, thank you to Nate Marquise for kind of breaking down a lot of that and some of his coaching change articles. It a lot of like, there's more than you would think for a lot of these veer and shoot systems. There's a lot to be said about like when these coaches find somebody that they truly believe is like head and shoulders above the rest of the room, they're not afraid to run them. Tennessee ran the ball a ton last year. It's just that Jabari Small and Jalen Wright n- didn't really separate from each other. There was not like a huge difference between either one, so they were willing to run them both. Here at USF, Naquan Wright, it sounds like, is really kind of head and shoulders above the rest of that running back room right now, especially with Brian Batty leaving for Auburn. And if Kelly Joyner truly does move full-time to the slot, like it makes a lot of sense for Naquan Wright to kind of get that workload that we're looking for. And if this offense kind of gets going in year one here, like this offense is going to score a ton and Naquan Wright's going to get a good chunk of those touchdowns just by, just by being out there. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't get like the 250 touches that some of these other veer and shoot running backs do, but if they score a ton in the AAC, like the touchdown upside is going to be pretty good for him there. What do you think Mox?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I understand the argument. Again, right? Like, I get it. You get it. I think he's going to be the RB1 as well. I think he's going to see 55 to 60% of touches, which is feature back workload. Um, I don't know how good this offense is going to be. And yeah, I don't know that they're the going to That's a major question, to, isn't it? I don't know that he's going to have enough touchdown opportunity to hit what. Um, we need right so like byron brown is probably going to get like a bunch of red zone opportunities that might go to right this is very true and those red zone opportunities are probably going to be limited anyway so that's the that's the concern that i have when i'm talking about right but i mean late in drafts you're getting a guy who's probably going to get 55 percent of touches so like yeah you're not going to find that in yeah he's going around 20 to 30 he's going as the rb 99
0: in drafts in like late round 19 right yeah. now so like again it's ton of upside there and like I'm trying something out a little bit where I, like, a lot of people talk about, like, you know, receiver, quarterback stacks and stuff like that. I'm trying something out this year where I kind of target what I, what I call, like, some QB running back stacks where, like, the ball is going to touch two people's hands at any given point during the game. It's either going to be the feature running back or it's going to be the quarterback who's either going to run it or they're going to throw it. An example is, like, DTR and Zach Charbonnet last year where like 90% of any given play on offense for UCLA was going to one of those two guys. And I was able to, at least in one league, get both of those guys in that productive offense. And it was absolute magic for me in CFF because they got into high scoring games and whoever got the touchdown, I was benefiting from it. I think you could see a similar situation here with Byron Brown and Naquan Wright, where it's like either going to be, Brown, who is going to throw the ball or run the ball himself, or it gets handed off to Naquan Wright in any kind of close game. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think this is going to increase value there if you're able to pair him up with Brown. All right, let's go and talk about our last team here. Going back to the Power Five, another nerd school, but you know the nerd the nerd schools are uh, they're 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 uh, looking up this year. We got Vanderbilt over here. And last year was tr- quite truly their best year in a long, long while. They almost made a bowl game, which is a minor miracle for Vanderbilt right now. I truly think th- their hiring of Bud Simmons legitimately might be one of the most underrated hires I think I've seen a team make in a long time. Because I really do think with the experience he had on like the recruiting trail and everything, he was able to kind of go in there and kind of revamp. Because he's, he's the director of their players uh, personnel s- over there. I think he was able to kind of revamp.
1: for
0: a long time. He was with 24-7 for a long time. So he's able to kind of go in there and kind of revamp like, alrighty, we're not going to land the top guys, but I know how to kind of look for diamonds in the rough. And they've done a really good job the last couple of years. Because they got instant impact freshmen last year, like AJ Swan, who was kind of going back and forth with Mike Wright. You had Jaden McGowan, who played as their wide receiver two last year, probably going to be their wide receiver two again this year. This year, Cedric Alexander is set to be their, at least, again, I don't know if he kind of separates himself as a clear RB1, but he'll probably get the first touch when the when the fall comes around and everything like that I do think that this team is kind of getting on the up and up. We avoid Vanderbilt players because they've just been so far behind the rest of the SEC, even the SEC East, which is the weaker division by far. But now, are they a bit more valuable now that we're seeing them compete with the likes of, you know, Kentucky, Missouri, Florida? Like they they're they're not super far behind everything anymore. I'm kind of curious to see where Vanderbilt kind of goes this year. Again, maybe they caught people off guard last year. They're going to kind of regress back again this year because people kind of take them a bit more seriously. But Box, like, guys like Bo Shepard. I mean, Cedric Alexander, I mean, we'll see how much that goes. It's probably going to be by committee at least to start the year. What do you kind of think about these guys?
1: I like them more than I would have in previous seasons um, for the reasons reasons that you gave, right? So their first two weeks, Hawaii, Alabama A and M. You're you're starting Vanderbilt players yeah. in those games. So I mean they're going to be favored by double digits plus in, in each of those. So like Alabama A and M, they'll probably be favored by twenty ish points. Um, UNLV, Missouri, like those are games you can start them. Yeah. I mean, you can't start them basically last six weeks of the season, in my opinion. Like that's the concern with, with this offense. Like, I just don't think that you're starting them against Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, Auburn, South Carolina, or Tennessee. Like I they're probably gonna be double-digit dogs. And so like you're maybe you're taking AJ Swan and Will Shepard and starting them, but still I don't feel great about that. But the first six weeks of the season, like you kind of know what you're getting from this Vanderbilt team. And I think that could be something good. Better that better than it's ever been. And I think Cedric Alexander is a pretty uh interesting player just considering how much he was talked about in the spring um I think Jaden McGowan is good I just don't necessarily know what his upside is I think he could be better than Will Shepard but yeah from a talent perspective it's an interesting offense
0: it is kind of an interesting offense again like the only guy who's being drafted out of this bunch is Will Shepard and he's being drafted as a wide receiver 49 early round 12 kind of range everybody else is being undrafted I'm not going to draft AJ Swan even though I kind of like this offense for the upcoming year because like you said like Things can go badly for Vanderbilt pretty quickly. I'm not going to worry about... It. Again, he doesn't have elite passing numbers. He doesn't have elite, or elite passing attempt numbers. And he doesn't have the dual-thread ability I really want to see. Cedric Alexander, again, I'm, I've been on the record that I'm very high on him. I do think he'll be the RB1. I think he'll probably separate himself as the year goes along here. And... You mentioned, Mox, like the second half of the season that like, you know, you're not going to start them against Florida, not going to start them against Kentucky and everything. But, the, you know, Vanderbilt beat both of those teams last year. Again, probably going to get a better version of Florida or hopefully actually Florida could end up being a dumpster fire by years. And we'll see how that goes. But even still, like in those games, Ray Davis got 26 and 30 carries in those games. So like there is value that if yeah. they are able to keep it competitive with some of those games down the stretch, you're kind of okay starting at least a running back there, because you know for a fact that they're going to, that, that's where they want to
1: go with the ball
0: for the most part.
1: I don't have their win total in front of me. I can um, so it's three and a half. I think that's probably about right. Which is that they expect them to win against Hawaii, expect them to win against Alabama A&M, and then be competitive in two of their matchups, and I think those matchups and um, and one of you know like Wake Forest I don't think South Carolina maybe I don't think they're going to get Wake Forest that's the concern that I have mm-hmm. well that's, that's
0: also the concern so, that I have is that like the offense will be too unpredictable to kind of know weeks which weeks they'll be productive for. Because there's no way you would have gone into last season and started Ray Davis against Florida or Kentucky. Because you would have thought, like, oh, Florida and Kentucky, they're going to take care of Vanderbilt and everything like that. But then they
1: surprised everybody. We'll see. You need—yeah, You need yeah, best, ball, best ball only. I just can't imagine starting them in any matchup that isn't part of their first four games. All righty. With that happy note, we
0: will— finish up here mox we had a great great show here i hope everybody got to learn just a little bit more here everyone need to fix these graphics at some point i hope everybody learned just a little bit more maybe found some different diamonds in the rough that you hadn't really considered before again like pretty much a lot of the guys that we talked about here like i get i looked up their adps for a reason because i'm like i wanted to make sure we were talking about guys that are going relatively later in your drafts again i think the only true top guy we talked about is tory horton who goes in the first second round yeah. but everybody else these are guys that are going in like the round 15 plus range oh lejonte well, wester as well but again everybody else like round 15 plus range like these are guys that quite frankly i think if we bought into them just a little bit more i could see them moving up into like or at least some of them like moving into like top 10 round range where like isn't Again, that's how this works. It's how this industry works, where a lot of us kind of start buying into the same guy. Some people start taking them a little bit earlier, and it kind of builds on itself. Suddenly, a guy that was in the round eighteen range two months ago is now a top round guy. Lots so, of group think. Lo- there is lots of group and again, like it's a, both a good and a bad thing because again, we it helps us kind of learn about different players that we hadn't learned before. When you see a guy get taken higher, you're like, huh? There's something there, but also again, it can lead to different things. Like I, I can't think of any players off the top of my head from last year. But again, there were definitely a ton of busts last year where we all bought Chris, into.
1: Chris Brooks is an, a good
0: example of Chris- guy who's going like round 20 and then shot way up and busted. Yeah, Miles Price is another one. Maybe he was in like round 20, but like he was going in like round tw- 10, 12 range. All of a sudden, jumped up into like round two range because we were all so bought into the idea that he would be the guy at Texas Tech. Boom, he busted. Another, another example right there. But again this kind of helps you provide a lot of different ways that you kind of think about it. Just some offenses that I think just for most part, we just haven't really been talking about enough. So Mox, you kind of have any final thoughts here on some of the teams
1: we talked about some of the players we talked, what do you think? Um, no, I just think they're all, you know, you're, you're shooting for upside in these late rounds. So that's what to keep in mind, right? Like we understand that there's risk in every single offense that we talked about, which is why they're underrated or not getting talked about a lot. I do think there's a lot of upside with these, so that's just something to keep in mind when you're talking about drafting. The way you win drafts is taking these, um, these home run, home run shots, and, and so that's what I would keep in mind. But uh, besides that, I I would just say all of this information that we talked about today, like it's all in our CFF guide. It's all there. You can read it and come to the same conclusions that w- we did. So I would definitely recommend purchasing that if you haven't already, and and read through this, read through all the like everything we talked about. I mean, is in there. Yeah, pretty much the
0: only thing I did in terms of researching for today outside of our CFF guide was just looking up previous season stats. That's pretty much the only thing that I, that's the only thing that I wrote down in our ADP. Well, our ADP is in our CFF guide, but just like um, looking up different guys that are outside of our profiles and everything like that. Like other than that, like everything I grabbed from the guide, it, like that's how much information you can get out of it. So definitely go purchase that. It's only 20 bucks on citycampuscant.com now mox you've been incredible all of you who are listening are incredible as well we'll be back here next monday for those of you who are listening now make sure you go ahead and check out last night's cff mock draft live stream i got tommy harvey from dynastypros.com on this week It it is a ton of fun so make sure you go and listen to that get your ctn double dose this week by listening to that But outside of that, really appreciate you guys. I hope you guys have a wonderful and blessed weekend. I'll see you guys.